0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Quiet Part Loud podcast. This is episode 143. we got a great show for you today. My guest is Jack Street. Jack is the founder and CEO of Demographica UK. Demographica are an independent media outlet that focus on giving young people a voice to speak about social issues, politics, and things that are affecting the fabric of society. The point of Demographica, as Jack puts it, is to cut through divisiveness, party politics, point scoring, and you know just the, the, the division that's caused by social media and mainstream media platforms. Jack and I had a great conversation. We covered the U.S. election, we covered social media, censorship, um, how Demographica got started, and some of the issues facing U.K. politics today. Jack's a really thoughtful guy, knows his stuff, and we had a fantastic conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it. I hope you learned something, and I hope you check out Demographica um, on all of the places you can find them, which are included in the show notes. So, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Without further ado, please welcome Jack Street. Shut up and sit down. welcome to the show thanks so
1: much for having me I really appreciate it
0: good to connect with you and uh, yeah I'm looking forward to talking to you because off uh, off camera it seems like there's some definite crossovers of interest there and uh, and I think you know with the with the time that we're at now with the US election going on and and everything there's some some very topical points of discussion that we're going to cover today Um, so do you want to start just by introducing yourself to the audience telling
1: telling people who you are and, and and what you do yeah, sure. So, um, as you said, my name is Jack Street. I started a, a company called Demographica out of university. I studied um, politics at the university of, of Portsmouth. Um, and I originally started the company to be sort of a, a lobby group for young people's interests. One of my issues growing up, I come from a very political family and it was, it's, we've always been very political politically open, having lots of conversations about politics, you know, over dinner and that kind of thing. And, um, I, I felt that there wasn't a space for me to go to be able to sort of share my views and my ideas and have debates with people. It seemed like there was this very entrenched system where you have to either be from a certain background or uh, either get a really lucky break. And there wasn't a place for people with really, you know, coming from a really beginner foundational knowledge to, to be able to write stuff. And that's why I wanted to, to create um, something that I wish existed when I was sort of 15, 16 years old and that's where the idea came from so originally we were going into schools and um, conducting polls and doing focus groups talking to young people getting their ideas and then taking that to po- those ideas to politicians and companies and discussing with them how they can um, be representative of young people's interests um, and then you know the coronavirus occurred and we had to adapt a little bit we have uh, an article space on our website and a podcast, and that was always something that we wanted to, to do. Um, but because we couldn't go into schools and we couldn't engage with young people as much as we wanted to, we've just kind of morphed into becoming a, an independent media outlet, essentially. Um, we've got lots of ideas coming up for, for different shows that we, we want to do and podcasts and interviews. We do a live show on, on Monday evenings on our YouTube channel. And it's just kind of morphed naturally into that um, into that now and you know giving young people that ordinarily wouldn't have the chance to be able to talk about politics and social issues because they're passionate about things they're interested in things and absolutely across the political spectrum you know we're not aligned although obviously and we we, i'm sure we'll get into this i have my own political views we have people from across the the aisle trying to bridge the gap between people with um with really entrenched ideological viewpoints and say that we've got more in common than we don't. We need to sit down and have conversations with each other. And, um, again, I'm sure we can get into this. I've got a lot of of issues with how the the media in this country and uh, across the world really have created a lot of the the political divides and turmoil that we we currently see at the moment. And it's, I think you'll, you'll agree that it's been clear throughout the U S election also that, um, the, the the media and the the establishment if you will hasn't done a good enough job of trying to bring people together to to solve issues so that's kind of where we're coming from you know putting young people to the forefront and trying to deal with with issues in a, a sensible and proactive way fantastic and when did you start demographica exactly how long has it been going for just over a year so september of last year is when we when we started oh, okay. i graduated so, in the summer, so, so very new
0: yeah so relatively new and yep. uh, and i see from the podcast that you've had some uh some fairly good guests on there, and and you're getting a library together there as well. So that uh, seems like it's all ticking over.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm just it's been incredible the the um, outreach that we've been able to do, and the, the amount of young people that we've been able to to get on, and the discussions that we've been able to have. You know, and that's been the thing for me that that I've really noticed is that people want to have these discussions. It's not the case that the reason that people seem to be disengaged from politics isn't because they aren't interested in it or is it because they haven't got anything to say it's because nobody's going to them and giving them a place to have the conversations. So if you go to people, if you go to people and say, what do you think about this? Almost everyone's got an opinion on, on something. Um, And and most things are political. So, you know, if you reach out to people and you want to engage, they're going to engage back and, and want to have conversations about stuff. So,
0: yeah. And I think, as you said, you know, politics is now being conducted by the media and, you know, almost adjudicated by the media. And there seems to be not only a walled garden around who gets a voice with mm-hmm. politics, but who gets a say in the legislation process of politics as well. So seeing that you've got a platform that, you know, kind of tries to break those walls down and gives, you know, young folks and, and people from all spectrums, uh, cool. you know, of the of the political spectrum, you know, uh, a place to come and... And dialogue or or put their thoughts down on paper or or listen to some of these conversations is is only a positive thing I think Um, you know we need more openness around political discourse and you know people shouldn't be fearful about talking about their political opinions whether they support one candidate or another candidate or one issue or another issue the only way you can reach any kind of solution or progress is to have those kind of you know borderless conversations, as it yeah. were. Um, so, in terms of the team, the core yeah. team, yeah, f- five people, something like that.
1: Yeah, exactly yeah, five who, who people. Who makes so up the team at Demographica? Myself, um, Brett Lee, who's our podcast uh, host, and he, he's our podcast manager. Um, Alex DeBoic, who's our article editor. Uh, Mason Wright who does a lot of production and a lot of the sort of day-to-day operational stuff um, and Gabe Hunt who is our editor um, and we've got a really great I'm really lucky you know we all either I, I I knew Mason beforehand but the rest of us met at university and they're all you know with a different range of skills everyone's been fantastic in, in you know helping me set up the, the company and um, it, it's just worked out really well you know all of us have kind of taken on a role naturally in areas that we're all really passionate about um and it's it's all something that again i think we sort of alluded to this before we'd all be trying to do this stuff anyway uh, we'd all be having these conversations in the podcast we were sat in the pub having conversations about how we feel like uh young people aren't given the opportunities to um have have conversations and have debates and and talk to politicians and have their voices heard and it, it just naturally progressed into into what it is now and morphed into what it is now and i think that's the case with a lot of uh either podcasts or, or business ideas is they adapt as they go on and the guys have all had different ideas and you know it it just it it often takes a course that you don't you don't imagine it it would and yeah um, that's that's definitely what's what's happened uh, for us as well and you know I, I, as i said i've been really lucky with with the team we've gotten and, and we're hoping to me, expand uh talk to me about
0: the uh the writers so I, I saw that, obviously, I was reading your article about the US election takeaways, yeah. um, but then I noticed there were pieces there that weren't from that core group of five. So mm-hmm. do, you a, do you have a network of, of, of people? Do they apply? How do you, how do you source them? How, how, do, how do people kind of contribute to demographic if they want to sort of get their voice
1: heard? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people were sort of people that we I knew already from being involved in, in sort of different political uh, networks and that I knew wanted to write articles or wanted to, you know, move on and become journalists and have experience. So just people I knew and reaching out to them and saying, we've got this space, we want you to write articles, but also... Um, you're just doing a bit of research and reading around on on social media and seeing people that have sort of interested takes on on issues, and I, I like to try and ensure that I'm not living in in an echo chamber and listening to people that are across the aisle from me and reaching out to them and say, you know, would you be interested in either writing an article for us on this? So I can get so I'm interested in hearing a bit more about what you've got to say, you know. Um, and almost always people respond positively to that and say, yeah, I'd love to. You know, I'd I'd love to be able to to have the opportunity to do that and um, the same with guests on our on our podcast. So it, a lot of it is just reaching out to, to people. And then more and more recently, we've had people email us with, with articles that they've written or asked if they can write an article on a certain subject. And is um, that they- side
0: of the business starting to get some steam now that you're yeah. you know having these guests and having these conversations and, and building this, I guess, library of content? You're seeing more people offer their services rather than mm-hmm. you reaching out to them
1: yeah yeah and i think that's that's you know naturally the way that that things end up working out isn't it you know as we start to increase our reach then people sort of see that what's going on or they might have a friend that wrote an article and they want to get involved and that's great for us it's really you know encouraging to see people that have spotted our content or they say i read read this article and I i want to write a response to it we've had that a few times where we've had somebody write an article on um how the conservative party has dealt with xenophobia and then i've had someone from the conservative party come and say i want to write about how the labour party's dealt with anti-semitism you know so we get these <laughs> we get these dialogues that that start to to form through the the article space as well which is really interesting and and we want to ensure that our readers get perspectives from as many sides as they possibly can and yeah you know t- trust people to be able to form their own ideas you know not spoon feed people um ideological perspectives or anything like that and you know that's what we're that's what we're all about and uh, again with the, the the live show that that we've started to do um, having people say, uh, you know, I want to come on for 10 minutes and, and ask you some questions on this and see what your your thoughts are on this. And again, you know, it's really encouraging. And like I said, people want to, to talk about this. this people type, are more so. politically
0: active than I think we often give them credit for or yeah. the media gives them credit for or, you know, there, there's almost a there's almost like a, a, an oversimplification and like almost propaganda delivery of, of politics in the media. And, you know, they kind of Assume that people are just interested in 13 second sound bites or 10 mm-hmm. second sound bites, and I think people are a lot more engaged than that. Um, do you think? Would you call your team a nonpartisan team, or would you call it a an eclectic mix of of all things politics?
1: I, I you know, I, I don't necessarily believe that you can ever be really nonpartisan. You know, we've all got our own. Political views that inform us or inform the way that we go about our lives or the way that we think about different issues. I think the overriding theme is that we all care deeply about the principle of free speech and free expression, and we want that to be what um, pushes us forward and that to be the, the you know the core theme that embodies the work that we do. Um, we don't want to. to uh, move away from conversations that might be uncomfortable we don't want to silence perspectives that we personally don't agree with and it's something that it's it's difficult to to get over in, in a lot of ways where we'll sit behind the scenes and have conversations about an article that gets written and and you know we'll read it it gets sent in and we'll go we don't believe a word of, of this article you know but that's not our job our job isn't to curate what the uh, opinions are heard on on the website and just because we don't agree with it doesn't mean that that our viewers aren't going to be interested in in reading it so very um, true. very true you know we we kind of have to push past that and I think that's in in many ways what sets us apart from a lot of um, more established media outlets is um, we we want to push forward those those conversations and I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm like you know nonpartisan or, or, or <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm biased in any way because I, I am incredibly biased in, in a lot of ways I have my own opinions but Part of this whole thing is about acknowledging that I'm not going to be right on every issue, and none of us are going to be right on every issue. We want to learn, and we want to hear different perspectives. So, so you yeah, don't
0: I, you don't you don't adjudicate opinion, mm-hmm. but do you do you fact check before you publish? Of course, you Of do. course,
1: yes. So and, there is an
0: editorial process there that makes sure that somebody can't just write a bunch of salacious nonsense on one side or another, and that yeah. gets that gets traction on the platform
1: yeah but we'll never just throw things out so we'll never just have an article arrive and then go okay we're just not going to correspond with that person anymore we want to um, communicate with people that send in articles and we want to give people opportunities to write things that are of the best quality that they can be so if there's something that we see that's just completely untrue um, then we'll go back to, to that person and say look we've done a bit of research on this we want to know what you think we're not necessarily totally comfortable with this, this section of it, is there a possibility that you could revise that or go and look at it again? And mm-hmm. we, we want to open up dialogue with people. So, um, yeah, that's a really important aspect. But you do us. allow opinion pieces. Yes, very much so. Yeah. So where does yeah. the so, editorial
0: line get drawn with opinion pieces?
1: For, for us, it's, it's about, um, ensuring the, the, the dialogue that occurs is, um, it's, it's constructive. You know, we, we, we don't want things to, to, we don't want to be putting out things that are just hit jobs on a certain uh, uh, individual or, or um, you know, full of, full of untruths or whatever. We, we want to be publishing pieces that are, are rooted in either um, an opinion on a certain issue or mm-hmm. if it's if it's more of a uh, investigative piece, it's, it's written in a way that is as factually accurate as, as possible. So Um, what if a
0: piece was factually accurate, but because of the facts of the matter, it became a hit piece? Would that get play on the platform?
1: Yeah, what I mean, you know, it's difficult in many ways to look at things from a hypothetical perspective, because it really depends on the sort of merits of the individual article. Yeah, for sure. sure. And
0: I guess the, I guess the opinion, I guess the example that comes to mind is something that happened on Twitter before the election or as a lead up to the election, right? With the, um, the Hunter Biden story that was published by the New Yorker and subsequently Twitter suspended Mm -hmm. their account and subsequently suspended the, uh, White House press secretary for publishing or retweeting that content. And then anybody that tried to retweet that story was blocked from doing so. Although there's nothing to say that the story itself isn't true.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've got a real issue with um, uh, big media outlets or social or social media outlets, big conglomerates blocking news that they deem to be inappropriate. I think that um, in this in that specific case, uh, I think it sets a dangerous precedent when twitter decides what can and can't be shared and sent around and there's lots of things on twitter that are freely circulated that would um break their guidelines or or, you know would go against their guidelines that's you know as i say allowed to be circulated that aren't the hunter biden story um i wanted to read that story i saw the link on twitter it got blocked it got taken down i wanted to speak to people about that and what they thought about that and i wasn't able to do so Mm. that pisses me off um and uh, they subsequently, you know, they subsequently apologized. And then I think after they apologized, they went back and did a similar thing to another story that was published, didn't they? So, you know, there, there's constant um, hypocrisy with these, these companies when it comes to, you know, to this, to this issue. I agree. Um, and uh, I, they, they need to be, you know, the, the social media companies need to be regulated now in the way that, that, that they used as town, town squares town essentially aren't they and they need to be regulated in that way and and if they have guidelines as private companies do until government comes in and says we can't have um we can't have you censoring certain opinions certain points of view unless they go go against you know unless something's inciting violence is my point unless it's inciting violence or directly calling for violence so we saw um it's uh, steve bannon on his podcast yes um say that uh dr fauci should be beheaded or head on a spike back. that i think goes against uh the the, the principles of free speech and i his, agree. his podcast was was removed and that's we have to have a line and then yeah. that has to be consistently enforced and whether it's an article um on somebody on the left or somebody on the right or somebody in the center they need that needs to be enforced equally and i don't think that it, that is what we what we see
0: yeah um, i agree i feel it's i feel it's a regulatory uh positioning that should be somewhat equal to uh telephone companies right but because you can because you can outwardly project an insight violence against an individual or a group then that red line needs to be there and that's effectively my only red line when it comes to uh freedom of speech and freedom of expression anything else should be no problem you know um and that goes so far as derogatory terms, racist slurs. I, I don't care. I think it's mm-hmm. all all to play for. Not that, you know, I'm going to spend my time doing that or intera- interacting with people who do do that. But freedom of speech has to mean exactly that. And I think mm-hmm. the line has to stop right at that, you know, that inciting violence against, against a person or an individual. So, yeah, um, yeah I just wanted to get your <laughs> thoughts on that. Because oftentimes... You can say we're open for anything, but Mm -hmm. then there starts to become a list of things that you're not okay with. And that can be derived from a political leaning. And that's why my previous question about sort of your nonpartisanship, or as much as it can be, who, you know, kind of who makes the final call on those things? Who says, no, we're not going to publish this Hunter Biden story because we all want Joe Biden to win? You know, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, that's uh, luckily not something that we've too much had to to deal with, but I'm sure it will be in the future. And we want to, more than anything, open up dialogues with people. Um, Something I was going to say on your comment about racism is that if there's a racist, I want to know who the racist is because I want to call them out on their racism. I
0: don't
1: don't want to push these um, ideologies or these views to the sidelines because then I think they become more dangerous in many ways. I want to take people to task because I want to show that that my ideas, my worldview is, you know, one that should be valued over that person's um, those person's ideas or those those person's views. Exactly. Because it has more it has more merits to it. Absolutely. Um, what, and, and that's
0: where we need to be. Right. We need to be in a, uh-huh. in a place of meritocracy.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of, of Twitter um, flagging? Donald Trump's tweets and news outlets are cutting away from the speeches that were occurring when he was claiming that he'd won victory. What did you think about that? I think it's gross. I think the whole thing, I think
0: the media landscape in its entirety, including people I used to hold in a higher regard than let's call the mainstream media, like, uh, like Reuters or someone like that. Even they now have come out and shown their political bias and I'm I'm trying to recall the example specifically, but it was only last week, um, and it was it was shared on Twitter by somebody. Um, but it was a it was a clear clear partisan line that removed any merit for their kind of you know their um, their non biased stance on editorial views. You know, you've got the press association, folks like this, who still do a very good job Mm -hmm. of kind of just delivering facts to media outlets. But once they're consumed and absorbed into those media outlets, then they just get spun. And I think any, well, I mean, we can go into this. The fact that the mainstream media have effectively called this election is a massive, massive problem to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, so what I'll, uh, I'll say is that, that, you know, on your point about um, political spin on stuff, if you're going to do that, if you're going to be in the, the market of opinions, just be open about it. Then I think people don't really have a problem. If but we you say, have to
0: remove that moniker that says news.
1: Yes. If you say, I, I, if, if I, I say I'm starting the Jack Street News Network or the Jack Street Opinion you know, Network, I am in the business of opinions. The things that I talk about are slanted by my personal political ideology. Then I don't think people have a problem because you're upfront about what you're getting, which is why I love new media outlets because I can consume media where people go, these are my views. These are these are my opinions. They're they're slanted by my political ideology. I'm totally upfront about that. I know what I'm getting. Give me when an example. The, uh, so from a US perspective, someone like David Packman, I don't know if you know David Packman. Uh Carl Kalinski has a ch- channel called Secular Talk. These are two left-wing social democratic. Very familiar uh, with both. Um, the Hill, the rising with Crystal Ball, Saga and Jetty is a fa- is you know a fantastic example of that. Two people on different sides of the spectrum that sit there. They're a great have example of that. Yeah. Uh, and it's a fantastic, fantastic show. When, when you know, when you're looking at those um, those kinds of, of of outlets where they're completely upfront about you know, the perspectives that they're coming from. I don't have a problem with it. When you look at, you know, whether it be Fox News or MSNBC or whatever, and they're suggesting that they're delivering news in a fact-based way, and it's clearly ideological, then we start to get into the, you know, that, then we start to get into a more of a, a gray area, right? Yeah, for
0: um, me, it's nothing more than reality television.
1: Yeah, I, 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 these these discussions that, that they have where you have, um, they get uh, a, a really complex topic that we could sit down and talk for like three hours about and and not come to any conclusions and they get people from completely opposite sides of the spectrum to sit down and have a shouting match for five or ten minutes I don't think there's anything worse for our democracy the way that we have conversations um than those kinds of, of programs I really you know I really despise it
0: yeah I couldn't agree more um I was reading your uh your article on the takeaways of the U.S. election mm-hmm. and I wanted to ask you about one part of it in particular and just kind of get your thoughts on it um, The it was near the end of the article I think in fact it was the end of the article and it said uh, something along the lines of uh, I kind of I made a note it's not the voters who are to blame mm. for this being so close it's bad campaigning yeah My thinking on that and my immediate sort of reaction to it was, doesn't that disregard 71 million people and sort of what they, you know, what they thought about, you know, who they voted for? Because despite COVID, despite the economy fallout from COVID, despite Trump's abhorrent behavior, and trust me, I do not, I hate Donald Trump. I hate Donald Trump. I can't stand him um but despite all of that in the popular vote where we are now all things taken as you know factual and honest there's only a 4 to 5 million d- differential between those that voted for Biden and mm-hmm. those that voted for Donald Trump and i just want to get your thoughts on that because to say that it was bad campaigning i don't disagree with you i think they ran a terrible campaign but i also think that if COVID didn't happen, it wouldn't have mattered what campaign they ran. Because for 71 million people to come out and vote for Donald Trump, with yep. all of those things in in play, shows me... And that you know, we can look at his demographic. He gained in every single demographic that voted for him in 2016. Mm-hmm. He made gains in yep. those areas. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, because it sounded to me a bit dismissive of sure. what ended up being... 48.5%, 49% of the
1: entire voting population? Yeah, so my point there wasn't to, to sort of dismiss those voters. It was to say that um, when you take into account Donald Trump's leadership, the way that he has uh, presided over COVID, the current economic crisis, which could be the worst um, in recent history, um, or probably will be, end up being the worst in recent history, um, the issues that were at the top of, of the... Um, of the, the election for many people. When you take into account all of those things, um, I, it's my personal belief that the Democrats, if they ran a better campaign, a campaign that was centered on actual issues rather than, you know, orange man bad, which is essentially how they ran, or I'm going to wear a mask, you know, that was the centerpiece of Biden's campaign. They would have won by a larger margin. That was my, my point. And it wasn't to dismiss those voters. It, if anything, it was to, to say to the Democratic Party, you need to take into account these voters because there's obviously something you're not doing it's obviously something that you're not representing that means that your your message isn't chiming with a massive um part of society and it's it's my, my say i have the same issue with, with the the labor party in in the uk in the 100 uh, lots of areas of the left um it's very easy for for lots of areas of the left to look at voters particularly in their heartlands working class people who just are completely they do not resonate in any way with with the current Left-wing, a lot of the current left-wing movements, Um, and those of us on the left, being transparent, those of us on the left have to look at that, have to engage with these voter groups and find out what it is that we're not doing to chime with with those sections of of the populations. Because you have to represent, you know, Biden going on about how he wants to be a, a president for all Americans, not just the Americans that voted for him. Well, what are you actually going to? What are you actually promising those people? What are you actually going to deliver to those people? And it doesn't seem to me like they promised anything and my point there was to say if you ran a campaign based on um policies that you believe would tangibly impact people's lives in a positive way you would have been far more successful and And why do you think they could why, why
0: do you think they didn't or couldn't do
1: that um i don't think they did it because i don't think they necessarily know what they believe. I, I think that there was um an element of complacency. I thought that because of the coronavirus. And I agree with you by the way, if COVID didn't happen, I think we'd be looking at a Donald Trump possible landslide victory. And that needs to be seriously worrying for the for the Democratic Party. Um, and the fact that they they didn't make gains in uh the the Senate as well. I mean this is you know massive and actually massively, lost
0: yeah. lost momentum in the House.
1: Yeah so on the on the same uh <laughs> On the same ballot, people voted for Joe Biden and Republican, um, you know, Republican senators and, and congresspeople. You know, it's just it's madness. It, it really is madness. So the, the way that they uh, why why didn't they run a campaign that was centered on policy issues? Um, I think it was because they saw the, uh, the, the the fact that there was going to be a large vote turnout. The um, polling, the in-state polling yet again got it terribly wrong. Um, and they that did. leads to complacency um the there were parts of the left that probably weren't as aggressive in their demands of the biden campaign like so if i was bernie sanders what would i have turned around and said to joe biden i would have said well i'll drop out of the race if you promise i'll, I'll drop out and endorse you if you promise a uh, 15 minimum wage if you promise medicare for all if you run on a green new deal if you run on things that when you poll the american people they over they're overwhelmingly in favor of um and you make me labor secretary for example um and the people just would have rejected donald trump and they obviously didn't um so yeah i guess if that answers your, your, your question. yeah no I, I, again think- it was
0: just something to to kind of ponder and, and get your thoughts on because uh, as i said i read that and i read it in a certain way and i just want to get your thoughts on it <clears throat> and then mm-hmm. Just sort of elaborate on where you think that they went wrong. I think, <clears throat> pardon me, I think the, the problem with the Democratic Party is they're trying to vote. They're trying to be the party of everybody, and they don't know who everybody is. You know, there's the far left. There's the, you know, there is the Green New Deal folks. There is the universal health care <clears throat> folks. There is a $15 minimum wage. But there's then, the, the, then there's also Biden, and Biden's not one of those
1: No, I agree. So
0: there's an infighting in the Democratic Party, and they can't get their story straight. And now you see people like Mm. AOC coming out and promoting all of the states that they won as a consequence of them, you know, wanting $15 minimum wage or, you know, but like you said, they voted for $15 minimum wage in Florida, but they voted for Donald Trump in Florida. Yeah. So there's a complete misunderstanding of who the voting public is and i think they're trying to shoehorn people into these categories
1: when they don't fit at the end of the day and you know minority sorry minority groups are monoliths they don't all think in the same way it's ridiculous to think that you know all these people think in the same way well this was the thing uh, with
0: the black vote right it's like oh the black vote are always going to go to the democrats so we can count on them coming out and luckily enough they did You know, it was like 87% of black votes went to Biden, and that's fine. But I think there's a separate reason for that. I don't think that's because of policy. I don't think that's necessarily because of, you know, promises that they're going to make. Um, Do you know who Jim Clyburn is? No, I don't. Jim Clyburn is, in my opinion, the reason that Biden is even in the running for becoming the next president. And I say in the running because... I'm, I don't want to get your opinion on the voter fraud thing after this, mm-hmm. um, but Jim Clyburn is a senator or congressman from South Carolina. So Biden's primary campaign was dead in the water before the Super, what is it, Super Monday or Super Saturday or whatever they do, uh, where Tuesday, like 15 right? yeah, states yeah. vote on the same day. Um, Jim Clyburn endorsed Biden oh, yeah. two days before. and he went on to win south carolina and then went on to win 10 more states yeah if that doesn't happen elizabeth warren is going against donald trump or bernie sanders is going against donald trump and then you've got this i guess pseudo socialist movement that would have probably gotten them massacred in the general election do you think so I I absolutely think so. Right. I think people want some of the social issues, but along with those social issues come a lot of different other things. For instance, um, you know uh, the SJW type of rhetoric around anti-racism training and critical race theory mm. and issues like this that the American public I feel ultimately are sick of being preached to about and are rejecting those ideas so they take the social ideas in terms of legislative ideas but the social ideas mm -hmm. in terms of how they conduct their social lives i think they're fully rejecting
1: yeah so i i tend to agree um i think it probably would have been um i maybe maybe this is my my bias coming through but i i think that it would if bernie would have been the candidate it would have been um, I, I think he would have had a good chance of winning personally because I ultimately, so? yeah, I ultimately think that those, the policy issues cut through more than the sort of social critique does. Um, I think that there would have been, they, the, the, the Democratic Party would have been able to target mm-hmm. those um, groups that, that ended up swinging towards Trump better because they, they are in favour of those policy positions. And the, the, you know, it doesn't matter who stands for the Democrats. They're going to be called a socialist no matter what. And it seems that 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 sticks, you know, and whether it's true or not, Joe Biden obviously isn't a socialist. No, um, but he's there's about as people... much of a
0: centrist as you yes. can potentially <laughs> possibly
1: be. Yeah, there's there's many people in the US that believe that he is and that there's some sort of like communist socialist <laughs> revolution currently occurring in, in the u.s but what i will say on the the social point of view is yeah it isn't feasible for the left to have that as the epicenter of their campaigns and i, I think that there's what some... the socialist issues no no the the uh sort of like critical race theory element and the this sort of like um uh, big government social uh movement that you, know, you, you said the sjw sort of yeah. wing of the democratic party um i don't think it's 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 feasible for that to be the center of of their campaign i think that any campaign needs to be focused on policy um and on policy based on you know healthcare and uh criminal justice reform and um education and wages and all this sort of stuff that that you know is actually going to affect people's lives and we may we may disagree on some stuff like i'm sure we probably we, we may disagree on things like statues and um that kind of thing um but it's not necessarily for a presidential candidate to have that at the front and center of, of their campaign for them to be able to win votes. Um, and lots of lots of people on the left don't uh, agree with me on that. They don't want that to be part of what the, the, the left has and the, the, sort of yeah. the electoral part of the left has. And, but I um, think
0: that there's an infighting in the Democratic Party yes, that is yes. trying to get the social issues that you spoke about that most people are in favor of, right? Universal healthcare, mm-hmm. you know, uh, all of this stuff. That's starting, in, the, in my opinion, the Democratic Party and the, the far-left part of the Democratic Party are trying to bundle in these social issues with these economic policies. So, for instance, you'll get $15 minimum wage in one part of a speech, and you'll get defund the police in the same speech, and that's part of the Democratic Party. And I think that is why they couldn't have had Bernie Sanders as the nominee, because they would never have pulled the centrists into their vote they would have fled to trump because, because they're specifically rejecting those types of policies right yeah and that's, i think that's, that's where, what i
1: think that's yeah i mean that's maybe where we differ is that i think that there was those elements of the center and this is why i found biden's move to appeal to republicans and people in like the lincoln project really bizarre mm. I, th- I think those people clearly have rejected donald trump i think that they were always going to to um vote for for the democratic candidate um and i think that that's maybe where we where we differ and i think that sure. the swing towards um someone like bernie sanders would have been from commute from sort of the working class communities and the young vote would have been enough, enough to swing him but you know who knows and this is going to be something that the democratic party has to um has to deal with in the next four years that they and keep screwing him right they keep yeah.
0: screwing bernie
1: yes they do yeah yeah and that's the thing you know if if bernie sanders would have been the candidate and would have won um both in both primaries that he stood for uh, without them being rigged in any kind of way without the corruption that we see and he would have lost i'd be the first person to stand up and go okay this has been a rejection of many of the ideas that um the, the left or that part of the left the progressive left stand for and we need to rethink our, our positions on a lot of things you know, I'm not going to be one that, that would turn around and say that it was rigged or that there was, you know, massive fraud or it was Russia or whatever, um, you know, because I don't think that that, that would be the case. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's the, the, the they have to there has to be introspection, even though they won um, in the way that they did, even though that Biden got the most votes of any president in history. Um, and it, 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 would be easy for them to ignore those conversations and not to have them and go, look how many votes we won. It won't be the same in the next election. And they well, apparently they're it.
0: having those conversations already. And there's a Good. lot of fighting that continues. Um, Good. It, it's, 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 cur- I'm, 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 interested to explore the next point with you because you made a couple of definitives in the last part of that statement there, yeah. you know, that Joe Biden has won and, uh, and things like that. The the actual fact of the matter is that he hasn't yet, right? Uh, this hasn't been called.
1: Yeah, not all the states have been called. Yeah, so so it's not um, an
0: official election win yet by what you would actually term a win. I mean,
1: he's 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 passed the two seventy electoral college votes. um that he needs to become president i can't see that being overturned personally and there will be due process they will be they will look at this in the courts and and rightly so um they should do i don't so do you
0: think there's any merit to the voter fraud claims
1: i haven't personally seen any concrete evidence um, or, or anywhere near enough concrete evidence where I would say there w- there has been an organised and orchestrated attempt to rig the election in favour of Joe Biden. I haven't seen that personally so I can't say that sure. there has been and I would also be fairly confident in saying that not only will Joe Biden be the next president but it will go through the court system, maybe it will reach the Supreme Court from what I've seen so far I would probably guess that it, it, it won't reach the Supreme Court but it may do and it, there needs to be due process and i think that will occur but um, what do you
0: think happens if let's say they do find some evidence of it
1: then we deal with that evidence on on its merits and again it needs to go through the court and there needs to be due process and if there is evidence concrete evidence of um election rigging then uh you know when that if and when that that comes to light then it should be dealt with swiftly as swiftly as possible um but the you know whilst there was a, a, a slight margin in or it was a, there was a close margin in a lot of the states that ended that ultimately decided the election on the way that the U.S. people vote in the U.S. As we said earlier, people voted for Joe Biden and Republicans on the same ticket. The Republicans, the Republicans aren't arguing that the other votes were rigged. How would you possibly rig those individual ballots? It, there, there hasn't been lots of you know concrete evidence. When I've sat and listened to sort of three or four of the press conferences like that, people like Rudy Giuliani are, have, have done. <laughs> there is completely incoherent the one at the four seasons (laughs) landscaping was incredible that was one of my favorite moments in u.s political like he is
0: can you i can't believe (sighs) that 20 years ago he was america's mayor
1: yeah yeah like like adored by many americans right by lots of americans he he was gonna run
0: for president and had a pretty good chance at it
1: you know crazy so i haven't yeah. seen, you know as i say, i haven't seen any evidence as of yet and, well there's um,
0: something and uh, and and after we uh after we're finished here uh let's connect on twitter and mm-hmm. uh and if i've still got the tweet handy i'll show you um some things that have come out today that sure. are quite curious in terms of the stats sure. yeah. around yes yeah, some of those votes um but so do you
1: think there was do you, do you think there was there was rigging or there's a possibility that there was something i think
0: there's vote definitely vote? a possibility okay yeah, I think there's definitely a possibility. I think, there, I think there's too many things happening from the Democratic side, and this may be me with a little bit of a tinfoil hat on, I don't know, but there's a lot of things happening from the Democratic side that they're not saying. So, for instance, what I'm not hearing is anybody in the leadership team saying, we are absolutely confident to investigate all of these voter fraud claims to the Supreme Court, like you just said, this needs to be run up the chain, due diligence across the board. I'm not hearing that from Joe Biden. I'm hearing Trump's ridiculous. He's an idiot. We're going to push through to January. We're going to do what we need to do. I'm going to start. A po- I'm going to start, you know, appointing my COVID response team, so on and so forth. You know, Kamala Harris is is you know not answering questions around you know voter fraud claims at all. So there is an element of I guess poo pooing this away. Mm. Because you think it's ridiculous, but again, it goes back to the point that you've got a case where 71 million people voted for the other guy. And if you don't satisfy them, forget what happens in the infighting in your own party. If you don't satisfy them with the due diligence around this process, you are going to have a massive generational problem on your hands that could start immediately. and. I don't want a civil war to break out in America.
1: (laughs) No, of course not.
0: Nobody wants a civil war to break out in America. But there's only a 5 million popular vote difference, and the margin of error on some of these decisive states is incredibly tight. And when I was watching Pennsylvania on, you know, the two or three days that it took for them to count those votes, a half a million vote lead disappeared and turned into a 120,000 or so plus positive vote for Biden. Now, if you look at the election history around Philadelphia and around Pennsylvania and places you know, in those counties, there are, I think, logical questions to be asked around the validity of those processes. And an investigation absolutely needs to take place. If it turns out that it's all nonsense, great. Let Joe Biden assume the helm and run with it. No problem but there's some things that again, just watching how the media works and watching and trying to read between the lines, there seems to be some just things I'm not comfortable with in how they're delivering this evidence.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, A couple of things, I guess. Um, uh, And again, reiterating that any and all evidence should be looked at on the basis of, you know, on its own merits. I, we know we kind of know why that that was the case with the the vote voter difference, right? I mean, we're in the election coverage that we did. This is something that that I spoke about a lot, and we uploaded a, a video. I don't want to brag too much to you, but I, we uploaded a video on our YouTube channel earlier of I, I kind of went through what might happen on election night. Okay, I got my I got my prediction wrong by one state. Really? Yeah, I had Georgia turning red, and not Ooh. blue, and I was the only one I got wrong. Um, but. <laughs> we we, uh, we spoke about the, that's a the, humble this, brag that's a humble, yeah, brag. A humble brag yeah <laughs> we we spoke about this like red mirage effect that votes on the day were going to be counted first and mail-in ballots in a lot of states were going to be counted afterwards so we were going to see this um massive lead for for trump and then that was going to diminish as the mail-in ballots were counted sure. overwhelmingly uh, by uh, sort of over 80 percent i think mail-in ballots went to joe biden mm-hmm. um so we, we could see we could kind of see this coming. We kind of knew that it was it was going to happen. And um, whilst it's slim majorities, this kind of thing has happened before. Al Gore v. Bush was probably the most recent example. And that was over. So that was sort of tilted towards Bush. Right. So this has happened before in, in American history. The, the biggest takeaway in many ways on, in this issue, and especially when looking at the electoral system in the US, is that it is a terrible system it is an awful system in so many ways it does not properly represent people people do not have a good choice as to what candidates they they want to see i I, i'm not in favor in any way of two-party systems um you have to be and we have the same issue here in the uk and i always use the example of uh the 2015 election i think it was either the 2015 election or the I think it was the 2015 election, UKIP in, in this country were the biggest political party. Oh, the third, sorry, the third biggest political party and they got one seat. Yes. that That, that isn't democratic. And Correct. no matter where you are on the political spectrum, if you're pro-democracy, you have to call that out. Um, I agree. Our political system should represent um the way that the, the population votes and, and it doesn't and that's the one thing that i think especially in the, in the u.s like electoral and it's a first past the post
0: happened. uh system here as well right because i'm not yeah. as as uh as astute with the british political system as i am with sort of america or is, or yeah. others but it's still a first past a number right
1: yeah yeah so it's based on constituencies instead of instead of states and um, so are you
0: in favor of one vote one person count them all the winner wins and if that uh, yeah. is then delineated through multiple political parties, then the proportionality of those votes is the representative uh, policy or representative, um, the, the representation you get in, in parliament.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would be in favor of, of a, a list based system where you, you list your, your preference um, of all the parties and then um, they're counted up. If there is no one party that reaches the majority um, you take in sort of second preference and third preference and, and yes. so on and so forth until you get a party that, that ends up having uh, been the one that, that is most favored. And you end up with lots of coalitions in yes. that case, but it better represents the, the, the thoughts and the views of the people. And that should can, be yeah. how it goes,
0: right? We're Absolutely. all a mix. We are a coalition as a population. Why is yeah. our government not representative of the community that yeah. we actually find ourselves living in?
1: Yeah, exactly. And in, in the U.S., especially, it's you know a, lo- a large swathes of the population are incredibly libertarian. Yes. The libertarian party uh, in uh, you know maybe there's two cases where the the libertarian party has really made inroads and oftentimes can decide elections because they take away votes from a certain party and it's often very close. But the representation of, of the libertarian party at by the proportions of U.S. the U.S. population that would call themselves libertarian is you know, it's nowhere near proportionate. No. Um, and you can't have, you know, two parties don't represent the, the views of a country of what over, i don't, you know, what's the population of the U S three, 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 something like that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's yeah. enormous. It doesn't, you know, that doesn't make any sense to me. So that's been one of the things that, that I've sort of been kind of bewildered by, you know, throughout the, the election. In and I think that is, goes to
0: your point of what you said at the very outset of the conversation, right? There's an entrenching, uh that is you know it's it's like a tick embedded in the skin this is this is the political system it's like you know how are you going to dig that out yeah. disrupt it and manifest some new more fair you know equally representative system how, how, how is that going to happen you know I, who was it ricky gervais said something on twitter the other day he's like when are we going to have when is it going to when is it going to stop being a prerequisite that our prime minister comes from eaton
1: yeah, exactly that. Exactly you know, that. It, it, and, it's
0: and, when does what when do me and you get a chance at that? What, yeah. When do we how do we go through the rank? How do we you know what I mean? Like, no, I'm not going to run for politics. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but, you know, um, you know, it, it's that sort of thinking. Right. When does yeah. because I think that's what a lot of people gravitated towards Donald Trump for, even mm-hmm. though he's not an everyman, even though he is an elitist crook, you know, yeah, people yeah. saw
1: he, him as something different. Yeah, he, well, he embodies the establishment in so many ways, and that was oh, like the totally. biggest. That was the biggest farce, right? It was that you have this guy who has been part of the very establishment that he wants <laughs> to destroy, wins an election based on destroying that system, and then goes in and then appoints a bunch of like Goldman Sachs. Yeah. people Yeah, to and be I his, mean, his even cabinet. when he was running, like... right during the Republican debates, he was like, yeah. "Well,
0: I know where you get your money from because I'm friends with him, and I gave money to yeah. you too." Yeah. Like. Yeah, I know absolutely. how the whole yeah. system works, right? And then yeah. he goes ahead and he's like, well, I'm going to get rid of them all, but then he just brings them all back in. You know, and that's Donald Trump. You know, that's a... Yeah. Do- but, you know, again, people don't give him credit for the work that he's done in the Middle East. People don't give him credit for, you know, the rise in, you know, whether he piggybacked off Obama's economy and economic recovery or not. They still had a very strong economy. You know, I don't agree with any of his deregulation. I don't agree with any of his you know, anti-abortion, you know, def- the abortion defunding. I don't agree with, you know, his tax incentives or any of this sort of thing. But to te- to take away everything that he's done, I think there are a couple of things that you can point to where it's
1: like, yeah, that, w- the, that was all right. The, 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 um, the stuff that he did in, in North Korea in many ways embodies that. It's like I'm very much non-interventionist. I don't believe that, that either like the UK countries in Europe but the US should be involved in aggressive and often illegal wars in in other countries a a lot of the left um a lot of my my section of the left are are are, are, we're in agreement on that Uh, there is this sort of like center center left center right coalition that believe that we we should we're so righteous that we should be involved in you know coups in other countries you cannot criticize Donald Trump for trying to make peace deals and trying to make peace with other countries and I think a lot of Donald Trump's foreign policy um can be summed up as like anti obama you know, what did Obama do? Okay, I'm going to do the opposite. Yeah. Obama didn't sit down with Kim Jong-un in North Korea, I'm going to go and do that. Yeah. Obama got us into the, the, nuke, the Iranian nuclear deal, I'm going to take us out of it. Um And so it, his foreign policy wasn't consistent, because I think if he, yes, coalitions have been made in the Middle East, Um I would argue that a lot of those coalitions are being formed because a war with Iran is becoming more and more likely, and there it's are countries. A very very good point. There are countries in the Middle East that have vested interests in working together to sort of dethrone Iran as a power in the Middle East. that's um, a
0: very very good point that nobody's talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that was where that was that that would be my sort of critique of the of a lot of the Middle Eastern. Um, uh sort of talks that have that have gone on and uh that's been more and more likely under um donald trump's presidency and i don't think that's any less likely under a joe biden presidency you know i don't think joe biden and kamala harris are going to be these peacemakers around the world well um, i think
0: know. they're going to be completely the opposite
1: but their records suggest that that would be the case so yeah, yeah.
0: absolutely i was going to get your opinion on kamala harris what you thought mm. about her if like if you'd, if you'd look into her, obviously, I, I imagine that you're you're involved in, you know, following U.S. politics. So yeah, I would yeah. imagine you know her CV to an extent, yeah?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I find her to be a very disappointing politician. Um, don't like her record on most issues. Think that it's great that uh, across the board, there's more representation for minority communities in politics. I think that's really important, but we have to... Look at individuals based on those individuals and their records, and I don't like what she did as um, district attorney. Um, yeah, I, I don't like her record on criminal justice. Um, some of the stuff that she's said about uh, separating um, criminals from from their families and laughing at locking people up for non-violent drug offenses, and her record on on drug policy—I don't like it at all. I don't she like was it trying
0: all. to. She was trying to jail or make it a criminal offense if your kid missed school yeah that was it yeah yeah i mean she called herself what was it the 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 prosecutor in chief or something like that she was going to be that like, is that the slogan you're going with? Is it, You know, and <laughs> yeah, then I'd all sure. of a sudden the media comes in, shows are stepping off a plane in some Timberland boots, and they're so blind to the fact that they, they're they like, oh, they made Timberlands cool again. It's like if you've ever walked down a street in New York City, you know that Timberlands never went away, you morons. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, they're just so, they they lack any self-awareness. It's, yes. it's incredible to me. Um, based on that, and based on something that I saw her post, which was effectively promoting equality of outcome. And I don't know what your thoughts are on equality of outcome, um, but...
1: What did she, What was it that she said?
0: Well, she released a video that said it, it's not equality, it's equity. She doesn't right. want everybody to have... This, she, she doesn't want everybody to not have the same starting line, but she wants to ensure that everybody ends up in the same place with the same stuff. And yeah. when she... Refuses to denounce groups like Black Lives Matter and things like that. I have a I have a massive issue with that because one of the people I am very fond of is Jordan Peterson. Sure, and he he has a quote that goes something along the lines of, uh, "You know, equality of opportunity is probably the best idea a person can have. Equality of outcome is probably the worst." And I follow that thinking because. You know, I read people like Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who talks about the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917, and my wife lived through apartheid. And you know, we, we don't know, we don't need to watch any other film about World War II. We've seen enough of these things, right? But mm-hmm. when you when you go towards equality of outcome, you're reaching for an impossible star, I believe. Mm-hmm. And what you end up doing is creating chaos, division, and and oftentimes terrible violence in the name of equality and that's one of my main problems with kamala harris and that's one of my main problems with black lives matter as well
1: yeah so a few things like really important points that you you made in there like do i think that um kamala harris as um vice president would push policies that would in any way move us or move the united states towards a situation where there would be excuse me a quality of of outcome no i don't think so i think she's saying that because to many people it sounds like a nice platitude um let's have a world where everyone can be really rich and successful and but then I think it, yet
0: joe biden has said that he's going to instill critical race theory back into u.s government institutions as a policy and training
1: yeah i mean um I don't know too many specifics on on critical race theory personally, and, and and the application of that within within training, and what's actually being taught in those training sessions. Um, so I, I can, yeah, I mean, completely understand where you're coming from, especially from um, the the point of view of the dangers of something like equality of outcome. When I what I think we where we where um, a lots large sections of society struggle with these kinds of conversations is that. There aren't there isn't a blanket policy or a blanket ideology or a blanket um, uh, idea that we can put over all of society's ills and issues to be able to solve it to make this nice rosy world, you know, uh, all of these issues are incredibly complex and incredibly difficult and to suggest that you have these the ideas to be able to fix everything is very, very dangerous. Um, and you know, like you say, we have to learn learn from from history. Reading Solzhenitsyn, the Gulag Archipelago, for example, is incredibly important exactly. um, to ensure that we don't repeat the, the, the mistakes that have been made in the past. And um, what what I want to see is evidence that politicians want to um, solve the root causes of of issues like poverty. So. Um, you, you look here in, in the UK, there's uh, massive um, gang violence in, in London, you know, that, that, that leads to lots of life lots of crime, lots of disaffected um, communities. It overwhelmingly impacts uh, minority communities, spe- especially the black community. Why is that occurring and what can we do to fix that? Well, it's a lot of it's down to lack of, lack of opportunity, like, like you talk, talk about equality of opportunity being incredibly mm-hmm. important are there enough job opportunities? Do people get paid a good enough wage for doing jobs that they, they do, that they do? That's just one one issue, right? That's just that's just one issue. So talking about equality of outcome, as if that's, like you say, even achievable is ridiculous. Um, let's sit down and not have conversations about um, some utopia that we'd like to reach. Let's have conversations based on how can we actually fix the issues that we're seeing in society. And address um, them
0: honestly, right? And, and address yes, them yeah. from a root cause you know kind of yes. first principle break it down into its components and look at it and don't be afraid again this, and again this goes towards what you were saying at the beginning about your platform and, and what you're trying to do is have honest conversations that cut through those political divides cut through the nonsense and yeah. and address issues for what they are in the honest yeah. form in the most honest way that you
1: can yeah absolutely um and then you make, mentioned the black lives matter movement i think it's mm. really important that we separate the Black Lives Matter movement from the organization that's called Black Lives Matter. Correct. Um, I think that that's- Massive, you know,
0: massive distinction. Yeah,
1: absolutely crucial. I have, al- I also have uh, issues with the messaging of the Black Lives Matter organization. However, I completely align myself with the movement, the movement of Black Lives Matter, you know, ending bruta- police brutality, ending um, disproportionate policing of, of minority communities tackling the issues from uh, at the root causes that are meaning that the people from not just uh, the black community but lots of different communities aren't having equal opportunity um, and ensuring that there is equal opportunity in society completely align myself with that do i think that things like defunding the police um you know whatever that necessarily means and maybe we could we can get into that if you'd like um is uh, a platform that a political party should run on no i don't think it is but then um you know i think that we need to look at how taxes are used to fund different organizations and how well those taxes are being used to fund it open up conversations about these issues you know we should absolutely
0: shouldn't be... i think that there is is the is the nail on the head yeah. point is the fact that with some of these organizations they are shutting down the opportunity for people who don't look a certain way or fit into a certain criteria to even be a part of the conversation and you know, I look at it and I take America as as a view. You know, on say the BLM stuff, for instance, and the defunding of the police mm-hmm. and police brutality. And again, if you look at the statistics around, you know, police violence against African Americans versus Caucasians, there's more deaths on the Caucasian side, and that is a fact. If you look at the numbers of police who are You know, I look at it like, okay, you've got, and again, people start to talk about proportionality and proportionality of the, you know, the population and things like that. And if you look at the black community representing 13% of the population, but representative of 52% of all the violent crime, can then we have an honest conversation about why there might be more police in the black community and why those interactions might be negative in the black community? If we can have those conversations, perhaps we can have a constructive discussion about culture, but also about a resolution to how we solve the problem or address the problem, because defunding the police is not the right issue. You want more funding for the police to do better training to bring in better qualified individuals rather than paying them a bare bones minimum, spending 3% of their overall time on training rather than, you know, maybe 20% of their time on training to get this, you know, de-escalation skills and tactics down, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. There's, as you said a minute ago, there's a number of different layers to this and I'm okay with calling out ills of parts of society and ills in parts of like the di- different parts of the community but not singularly
1: yeah 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 and i yeah, think I...
0: that's the problem is we go into these echo chambers and these siloed conversations where it's just this point about this problem and we won't talk about anything outside of that silo because yeah. it might inf- inflict some damage or some nuance into what we're trying to discuss
1: yeah yeah and nobody wants to deal with with nuance because it's not you know you don't score points when you look at things with nuance, you know, like that, neither of us are sat here scoring points in this conversation that we're having. No, we? you know, it's and people don't want to live their life in that way. you, you spoke about the sort of the instant gratification um, element of society, and that's where people are so deeply embedded, um, and we need to break out of that mold. Um, but to, you know, to come back from the the to the defunding of the police uh, argument, and this is where I think we've lost a lot of nuance as well. It's that when i see people talking about defunding the police and again it's an issue with these sort of like five to ten minute conversations and debates that they have what it sounds like they're saying is we don't like the police we don't want them to have any money you know and that's not really what the the discussion is is that's not really what what people are suggested it's take funds away from the the police force and direct them into uh different pathways to take people away from crime that's essentially what people are saying what i think we should be doing is ensuring that we fund the police sufficiently, and we also fund areas that take people away from crime. It's not like exactly. we can only fund one area. It's, it's... it's like
0: we've we've only got like fifty quid, and we've got to make yeah. it spread across <laughs> all these things. It's like they've just pumped six to nine percent of our GDP back into a stimulus plan that went basically all to corporations. Nothing yeah. went to the community. You know, yeah. my wife is self-employed; she runs a business. She didn't. Uh, she didn't qualify for any of the government assistance programs. Yeah, it's, it's it was disgusting. disgusting. Yeah, it and is, yet yeah. I'm sitting here watching EasyJet get 600 million, Chanel getting 50 million, 50 bill, what was it? 50 50 million they got yeah. or something like that in in stimulus money. Chanel? What? Yeah. Nothing they, to the communities. My 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 local councils telling me that they're going to reduce our garbage pickup. And increase our council tax after they've had you know multi-million-pound injections of cash that ultimately we paid for.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I can agree with you more. I can agree with you more. And we've seen you know corporations are too big to fail. There's incredible cronyism at the centre of of the British government, where we're spending hundreds of millions of pounds on um, PPE procurement contracts. You saw the
0: 122 million that just yeah, happened today,
1: just to the mates of of MPs you know yep. these are people that have absolutely no experience in the industry of PPE distribution 120 yep. million to a company that haven't f- to make masks that have manufactured mm-hmm. zero masks there is incredible inequalities in this country incredible absolutely. inequalities and that's where our money is going it, it should make us so furious and that's one of the things that that frustrates me the most is that we we, we need to be having conversations based on these things that tangibly impact people's lives you know um, and it, it doesn't seem to me like we're, we're having them even nearly enough. And it's the same with like the, the free school meal um, example yeah. that, that, that occurred. You know, it takes a football player to come to the front and say, we really should be doing something about this to lead a campaign to get the government to actually do something. And
0: then um, we're it, supposed to be happy when the government makes a U-turn. Yeah. Only because they're under the most intense scrutiny from all of the media because yeah. of this one man's example
1: yeah yeah exactly so like i think there's lots of lots of people are, are to blame because of this and i think that the media do have a massive part to blame and obviously it isn't all of the media there's plenty of really good work that that gets done but yeah a lot absolutely of, a lot of our consumption is is uh, focused to like three or four massive corporations that, that um have helped to perpetuate the cycle that we're we're already seeing and social media companies to come back to them have a massive part to play in this facebook especially um because they make a lot of money off of creating these these echo chambers um and we need to break through this you know we need to start to break through this otherwise you mentioned america facing civil war um or or possibly coming to the point where there could be civil war and nobody wants to see that but not only will america get to that point it will will be plenty of other countries around the world that will be pushed to the brink because of the way that we're we're dealing with with politics at the moment so you know we have to, we have to start doing something about it. Um, And we have to promote these kinds of, these kinds of conversations. And that's been what's something really amazing about, especially in the podcast space is that people want to listen to long form conversations. People want to, to um, find ways in which they can uh, get different perspectives and really think about issues in a deep way. And um, you know, it's a fantastic platform to be able to do that, but that these, these places need to be held to account properly. I couldn't agree more, and
0: uh, and I think actually that's a really nice place to end. We're about an hour fifteen in. I think uh, I think we've covered a lot of ground. I I sure. don't want to exhaust everything because I think it'd be a really a really good thing to to reconnect again Jack. I, uh, I'm, I'm actually pleasantly surprised by the conversation and I wasn't I didn't have any expectations coming in but you know you never really know what the strength of these discussions yeah. are going to be and and I appreciate your uh, your honesty and your transparency on a lot of the views that you had um, and and do have. Um, before we go do you want to just tell everybody uh listening where they can connect with you where they can connect with demographica any of your team any of that sort of thing before we uh before we sign off
1: yeah uh, well first of all thank you so much for having me it's been a really interesting conversation and i'd love to to come on come on again it's been really great um i'm jackstreet01 on twitter um our website is www.demographicauk.com where we have all our articles we have links to our podcast on our website as well demographica uk on youtube and on all of our social media sites so we're pretty easy to find um okay. and you know if there's anyone that, that wants to connect with with me or, or us and wants to do some work with us then just get in touch you know we're always looking for more people to contribute and um it's just so it, you know it, it we, we've highlighted a lot of really serious issues today but one thing that always fills me with optimism is coming together and having these conversations and especially young people wanting to take the lead and be at the forefront of dealing with a lot of these issues. So. absolutely very well said
0: very well said and uh yeah pleasure was mine um let's definitely do it again i'll i'll ensure that um i make it easy for people to connect with you uh through the show notes and everything like that as well um but uh but i just want to say thanks again it was a great conversation jack Uh, i look forward to the next time we do it yeah me too thanks so much my pleasure